I'm Ed Gross, and welcome to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television, then and now. Today's show begins with a look back at one of the biggest sitcom hits of the 90s, Friends, which I'll be discussing with author Kelsey Miller. Her new book, I'll Be There For You, The One About Friends, will be published October 23rd. Now, I don't know about you, but when Friends began in 1994, I had no idea who these people were. I knew that Jennifer Aniston had played Ferris Bueller's sister in a terrible show based on the film. I knew David Schwimmer is that really intense guy, a lawyer turned vigilante on NYPD Blue. And I knew Courtney Cox from her Bruce Springsteen Dancing in the Dark video where she got on stage and danced with the boss. She also did a terrible sci-fi show called Misfits of Science, but redeemed herself because she played Alex Keaton's girlfriend on Family Ties. I recently had the opportunity to talk to Kelsey Miller about how the book came together, the experience of writing it, and what she set out to accomplish with it. It was an eye-opening experience reading the book because it exposed friends in a way that, frankly, I'd never thought of it before. Hope you feel the same way if you pick it up and check it out. Without further ado, let's begin our conversation with Kelsey Miller. Hey, Kelsey, how's it going? Great. How's it going? Great. Got to ask, first of all, I, you know, I've read through most of uh, I'll Be There For You. Nice job. Well done. Uh, Thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, it's funny. I read one passage where you talked about the fact that Friends is one of the things about Friends. It's comfort food and it brings you back to a, an, an earlier, more innocent time. It's so funny because mm-hmm. I sit there thinking of shows like The Andy Griffith Show. <laughs> you know, that's oh. the, so, so, so what is it about Friends? Let's start with that, that, that brings it, makes you say that it brings us back to an innocent time, a more innocent time. Well, I think part of it has to do with nostalgia generally. It's the same sort of effect that the shows that you mentioned have, which is simply the fact that they are in the past. And when something is in the past, it's very easy to think of it as simpler or easier um, because it's so removed from, you know, the life we're living now. You know, if you look at friends and nobody is staring at their phone all the time because there wasn't such a thing as smartphones, you know what I mean? So that's a very easy way that there are those little things that we can point to and say, ah, Remember back then when people had conversations, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But I think um, there there are those differences there. Uh, but at the same time, the show has a really universal and timeless heart to it. So it is also very relatable because it's simply about friendship. You know what I mean? So that's an experience that everybody has regardless of smartphones. And we can all relate to that. Um, and we're just, we're just looking at it through this, you know, slightly, you know, 25 year old lens. So it's a little rosier. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, what are you talking about? Like the rosier time and all that, would you say that's part of the reason that the show is sort of exploding the way it is like with streaming services and reruns? I mean, why do you think it's, it's still going so strong so many years after the show went off the air? Well, I think, yeah, as you as you point out, you know, it's something that we can look back on. And, you know, whenever you're in the present, it always seems worse than the past. So it's something that people can go back to. And also Friends was this kind of show where, yeah, it was on the air 25 years ago, but it never really left. It was always on in the background of our lives. It was syndicated so heavily so that, you know, I've spoken with people who claim to have never watched the show and yet they know it completely well. So even if you didn't watch it deliberately, you have a relationship to the show kind of whether you know it or not. So there's a 
attached familiarity there. And in a way, I think for a lot of people, it is like going home. It is like going to that, you know, childhood bedroom where they used to watch it with their friends, or it's like going back to college where they watched it in their dorm. It's good going back to that time in life. And, you know, when we have, we have something on Netflix now, we have the sort of added pleasure of binge watching it. And there are 200 something episodes of friends. So you can kind of just watch it forever. It can always, <laughs> you can always go back to it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And streaming, I guess, has played a big role in keeping the show alive. I mean, I know it's, yes, it's on TBS and it's on all these channels, but the fact that you can watch it in your pocket and, and on the train or whatever, I would imagine that's going to play a big part in keeping this thing alive and thriving. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I remember when I was working at, I was working at Refinery29 when Netflix in the U.S. acquired it, and it was all of a sudden the only thing anybody ever wanted to talk about. It was like Friends went from this sort of low hum that was always in the background, we all knew Friends, to this suddenly it was the hottest new thing, even though it was not a new thing at all. Right. You know, and now, and now you see it on t-shirts at very, very popular stores, and you know, people still are streaming it on, on Netflix in the U.S., and I believe in the U.K. it's the most popular streaming show. And if you look actually at the numbers, um, at, at least going back to, I think, 2016, the ratings on the syndicated episodes over there were going up. So people really are still watching it on television somehow. I don't know who they are, but there are a lot of them. And a lot of them who probably weren't there when the show originally ran, which is fascinating. Yes, that is really fascinating. I spoke to teenagers and high schoolers um, when I was writing this book and they all have a relationship to this show and they all have really strong opinions about it. Um, you know, cause when you think about it, they've, they've grown up in an age when television, television does look different and we still have sitcoms. We still have that kind of comedy, but we have a whole lot more in terms of format and in terms of, you know, character. Um, so it's, it, they, I think experience it differently than those of us who are a little bit older, even those of us who were kids when, when the show was on the air. Right. For you personally, what led you to write this book? I mean, you know, I've written books. I know what it's like when you have to sit there and say, okay, I am passionate about this subject. I'm going to write this book. What was sort of your motivation to sit down and do it? Well, um, as I said, I had been, I had been writing on staff at a publication um, when Friends had this big resurgence around 2014, 2015, and I had written a number of pieces about it, um, about different elements of the show. You know, that's when it became very popular to not only um, look back nostalgically on Friends, but also it became very popular to critique the show. And I had written sort of both of those kind of pieces. And I realized that I had a lot of stories in me and a lot of opinions about the show. And up until, you know, the point where I was I was talking you know, with my agent, we were talking about the possibility of writing a friend's book. I thought that I was a friend's fan, you know, sort of the way that everybody was. <laughs> I thought right. I didn't think that I was one of the diehards. Um, and, you know, the truth is, I don't think that I am. But as I say, it is a show that we are also familiar with. And as it turned out, when I actually sat down to think about it, I realized, God, this show had a much bigger impact not just on television and not just on haircuts and fashion and things like, like that. It really had an impact on a, a global scale. This is a show that eventually made it to, you know, 170 something countries. You know what I mean? No, definitely. You know, I, but for yeah. you to sit there and say, okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing this book. 
what are the challenges of doing the book? I mean, did you reach out to the cast? Did you reach out to the producers? I mean, how hard was sure. it to do this kind of book? Sure. I reached out to the cast and the producers. Um, you know, what I find sort of charming and not super helpful, but <laughs> charming for me was that the friends, you know, the cast members still have this all for one, one for all uh, deal in place when it comes to, you know, anything that has to do with friends. So I was told pretty quickly up front, listen, they're not all going to agree to to talk about this unless everybody gets together and agrees to it. So it's probably not going to happen. And frankly, I wanted to explore some of the more complicated elements of the show. I wanted to be able to talk about things like the representational issues, the treatment of queer characters, the treatment of women, um, you know, things like that. I wanted to be able to write about all those things without worrying that they were going to say, oh, well, I won't speak to you because of that, or I retract my interview, or I was going to be, you know, I was worried. I, I didn't want to have to sign some piece of paper that said that I would only say nice things. So in a way, I was grateful. I found the silver lining in not being able to talk directly to the cast. And then what was also great is that because of this show's ubiquity and its popularity, there is an enormous amount of research material out there. I, I mean, I went, you know, deep into the Television Academy archives, and there are just hours and hours and hours of in-depth oral histories and interviews with um, people involved with the show. And I, I was able to find so many things that even I didn't know about. Aren't those archives amazing? Seriously, I use they them all the time. Amazing. They're wonderful. Yeah. You you also came up with an interesting approach to the book, I thought, was you're telling the story about the making of the show, what went on behind the scenes, and it is balanced out by those sort of sociological aspects of it. And I found that fascinating Mm -hmm. that because usually these kind of books are one or the other. They're like the, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like the psychology of, the sociological impact of, and then there are the making of books. So it's an interesting hybrid of the two, I thought. Well, thank you. I mean, that that was quite deliberate because I wanted this to be something that a fan would pick up and enjoy. Um, and I had a feeling that it, it would be something that would be popular with, with fans um, because, you know, the show has such a rabid fandom. Um, <clears throat> but I, it was very important to me to be able to bring in some of those more um, complicated and, you know, even controversial topics and have a sort of nuanced conversation about them, especially because those are things which, as I say, are often written about on the internet. And when you write a book, you got plenty, you know, a lot more time and a lot more space to really explore them. And rather than do just a hot take on something and say, this is bad or this is good, um, you can really dive in and pick it apart. You know what I mean? Definitely. You know, what was your, you know, you mentioned that you learned things that you didn't know. What was your biggest takeaways in the writing of this book that of revelations about friends for you? Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of my biggest takeaways about friends I think, you know, to say something that I think people will really appreciate is the fact that, you know, there's this this very big sort of press narrative around the cast and the fact that they had a real friendship and everybody wants to believe it, but it almost seems too good to be true. And I think when I found in, in my research, what I found is that it, it actually was quite true. They were uniquely bonded in a way that I don't. I don't think has happened um, since in terms of television history. And as we all know, it serves them very well in terms of their salaries. But I think that is probably 
at least like 50% of what made the show so good and made it last so long and what makes it still popular today. Because these are people who really had chemistry with each other and really did um, put a lot of effort into becoming friends. I mean, professional friends, but but friends nonetheless, uh, off screen. I think that relationship really, really shines through in their characters. Um, and it infuses the whole show with a kind of aliveness that that really that really is why it's so um, so resonant, I believe, you know. Absolutely. You know, and it's funny, too. It's um, you talk about that all for one thing. I mean, other shows mm-hmm. have it maybe to some degree, but never. I didn't realize that it was from the very beginning of this show to the very end of this show that yeah. every negotiation was with them. Like, for instance, you look at a show like The Big Bang Theory, right? Now, you read mm-hmm. about the, the salary disparities between the different actors. Jim Parsons makes this much. Johnny Galecki makes this much. And then it goes down from there. And I read that. I'm like, how could they not have a Friends-like situation? But I guess the Friends thing is pretty unique, huh? Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I actually haven't read too much about the Big Bang thing, but I know that they – I think they tried initially or they tried at one point to do the Friends deal. And I don't know if they were successful in that. Maybe they weren't. But um, Didn't last. That's yeah. for sure if it was, yeah. It didn't last. Yeah, then. yeah no, it was, it, was, it was actually Courtney Cox in the beginning who um, – she had just done an episode of Seinfeld shortly before doing friends. And she was really impressed with the way that the cast on that show interacted with each other. And they um, would, they would even give each other notes, which is pretty unheard of uh, in the acting community. It's, it's pretty much it's a taboo thing. You don't do that, yeah. but they did that and it really improved the performance. And so, you know, she was the most famous one on the show in the beginning. And she said to everybody right up front, listen, you know, we all really need this to be a win. And, you know, they all had had, shows that didn't go and and a lot of you know false starts before this happened and she said we really want this to work so if that's going to happen you know we're a big cast we're a true ensemble we have to work together so I'm putting it out there go right ahead and you can give me notes and if you think that there's something that I can do that's funnier then let's do it just please please do that and then it kind of gave permission to everybody else to do the same and that really was the first you know bonding thing between them uh, was her using her clout to bring them together and then actually the salary thing um, didn't start until they were going in to negotiate for season three. And that was when David Schwimmer was kind of the hot shot on the show and he was getting nudged by his representation to ask for more money. And very similar to what Cox did, he went to the cast and he said, okay, I have this opportunity. Why don't we use it for all of us? Why don't we use this opportunity to talk about being paid the same? And that's what they did from there on out. And they, they applied that to publicity decisions you know, to, to certainly to negotiations, even when it came down to deciding, okay, are we going to come back for another year or are we not? And they would literally vote on it and then they would go to the table and negotiate as a group. What was so unique about that is if you go through the history of television, think of how many TV shows and friendships, even work friendships, would have been saved over the years from different shows if everybody had that equal parity thing. Because there are so many yeah. shows, oh, you got more attention than I did. You did more interviews than I did. And and it splinters a show and a relationship apart, which these guys never dealt with. Right. Well, and that's what happened in the second season, which is, you know, before they had this this particular sort of unionization, um, they were being paid differently. And if you look back on that second season, you know, it's an exciting season, but it's kind of over the top. And, and that was also a year, <clears throat> excuse me, when... 
everybody was just sort of frantically signing up for these endorsement deals and the friends were everywhere and they had this moment of like massive overexposure and that incited the first real friends backlash, uh, which, you know, after that, they, I think, I think that was a huge reason why they decided to enter collective bargaining and, and come together that way because they realized, you know, when there's this much money on the table, it's so easy to become divided. And if they were going to be in it for the long haul, they had to make it so that nobody's, you know, nobody could come behind anybody's back and, and try and put a wedge between them because that would have totally destroyed the the chemistry on the show. And, and, and it probably would have ended it much, much earlier, as you say. Definitely. You know, and, and I guess the overexposure thing you were talking about is that whole Diet Coke deal, right? The whole campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I read, read that in the book. I found that fascinating. I didn't realize how much went into it and how much money was given to these guys Huge. to do this. Yeah. It's crazy. Huge. Yeah. You know, were you surprised that given how popular the show was and how popular these actors were, that they've all gone their separate ways in terms of career and tried to build careers and some have been more successful than others, but none of them have had like the kind of success that they've had, they had with friends. Is that surprising at all? Or is friends represent one of those sort of just those unique things, lightning in a bottle? Yeah, I, I that's exactly my feeling about it. I don't think any of them <laughs> would expect to find another friend situation. They've all gone on to have, you know, as you, as you say, they're objectively quite successful careers. Um, but friends was a special thing. And, you know, I think that the, the creators, the producers, everybody who worked on it would probably say the exact same thing. It was lightning in a bottle. It was this, you know, incredibly strong writing This you know, these creators who are also very old, very, very good friends, David Craig and Marta Kaufman. Um, and this cast that just executed it like, like nobody else could. And, and so you don't, I don't think you move on from that and try to, read to do it again. I think that you are just grateful that it happened and and then you have to go and try and do something totally different and new. I'm going to hit you with the question that they get hit with all the time. Why not? Uh, when you look at the Roseanne and the Will and Grace and, and I just and I just heard the most ridiculous thing that Grimm, which I think left the air a year ago, is being rebooted already. It's like insane. Really? Uh, yeah, it's so cra- with a female lead. But isn't that crazy? The show just went off the air uh, and they're wow. rebooting it. It's just I don't get it. But should there ever be a reboot or a reunion of Friends, or do you think it's better off that there's like the Beatles, you know, stay apart? It's better off that you go your separate ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think they've all said the same thing. Um, you know, I think particularly David Crane and Marta Kaufman have said the same thing, which is, you know, you can't you can't go back in time. I think the cast, you know, who are going to have to answer that question every single day, probably for the rest of their lives, um, will always have to hedge a bit because you don't want to totally um, rule it out. And and you don't want to let down people who, who really seem to want this. But I do think that if fans like sat and thought about what it would actually be like to, to see a rebooted Friends with that cast, um, I think they'd realize that they're much better off with reruns. As David Crane said at the end, he's like he said something along the lines of, you know, we did it. We, we finished it. We ended well. We told the story. And there's no more story to tell. That, they, they told it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Ab- totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, I do think of that Beatles analogy thing in the sense of, you know, you said it keeps the hope alive. It's like when John Lennon died, I remember I was like all of 20, I think, at the time. Uh, and mm-hmm. I always had the hope like everybody else, oh, the Beatles are going to get back together. The Beatles are going to get back together. 
But then that hope was gone. The minute, that, but it mm-hmm. didn't matter if it ever happened or not. The hope was there, and yet when John left, and that was it. It was gone. You could never have it. So I guess fans feel yeah. the same thing, right? For a friend's reunion, it's like, well, it could happen, and that's exciting that it could happen. Sure, sure. I mean, there could be, you know, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of like a reunion special, but I don't think they're ever going to jump back into those characters. Um, you know, if they do, it certainly couldn't be an entire series. I think as Lisa Kudrow put it one time when she was recently asked about it, she said, you know, that was a show about a particular time in life. Um, and if you go back to it and we're all kind of in the same place, then that's kind of a bummer. That's kind of sad. You don't want these characters to be permanently stuck uh, in, in, you know, this phase of their life. You want them to go on and, and you know, grow. Oh, yeah. It'd be kind of pathetic if they were still hanging out at Central Perk 25 years later. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I want to kind of wrap this up by throwing this in your court in a sense. Is there anything about Friends, about the experience of doing the book, that you want to get in there that I have not hit you on? Anything about Friends? Well, I mean, this is sort of a, a new, I mean, not a nugget kind of an answer, but, um, you know, everybody who I talk to about this book, they want to know, am I, is this a book that's like a fan book that, that that's going to be really like a, a fan companion book that's really fun and full of fun, gushy stories. And is this, or is this going to be like a takedown? Am I going to ruin friends for them? And I really do think that you don't have to choose. I don't think that there is, um, I think it's very possible to love something, to truly, truly love it, but also to critique it for its flaws. Um, I don't think you have to choose. And I, I, I hope that fans of the series will embrace that. We'll, we'll, you know, revisit this and enjoy all the fun stuff and the stories and behind the scenes and the trivia. Um, and I think, I hope that it will also make them, you know, think a little, a little more about the show and about how times have changed and how maybe times, need to keep changing. Let me tell you, there's nothing worse than a book that's just a whitewash anyway. I have to tell you, that's so boring. Yeah. You know, when it's like everybody loved each other. We never had one argument and (laughs) all that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as as you've seen, I I very deliberately didn't get too much into the, you know, celebrity gossip in terms of the the cast personal lives, except where it sort of intersected with the show because I didn't want to write like a tabloid kind of book. I wanted it to really be something where it places friends in a broader cultural context um, and talked about how, you know, it had a really large impact and it still is. You know what I mean? Definitely. And, and I think you pulled that off. Seriously. Thank you very you're, much. You're welcome. Are you working on another project? Any other books in the way or? Um, yeah, maybe, but I don't have anything I can really talk about just yet. For now, I am just focusing on friends. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time uh, today. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Best of luck with the book. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. If you like the show, please subscribe and tell your friends. If you didn't, subscribe anyway and don't breathe a word of it to anyone. And for more classic TV coverage, please head over to closerweekly.com. I'm Ed Gross. Thanks for listening.